Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've been enjoying the Jamiroquai memes. Have you seen those? <laughs> I have, yeah, the guy um, with the Amazon. <laughs> ah, let them have it. Just let it play out. I mean, that place is decaying. The sooner the better, really. And everyone's sort of always saying, oh, have you seen what's going on in America? Like, what's fucking new, man? It's been going on like this for years and years and years. It's just more mania. Just let it play out. You lived there for a little while, right? Yeah, in LA. I really like LA. It's fun. A lot of cool people. Definitely a different vibe to other parts of America. But even when I've been on tour through America, I've always loved it. I've always found the people to be very pleasant and polite and well-mannered and kind. And, you know, you're only seeing such a small part of it, I guess, on your Instagram feed or what you get sent on your news links or whatever. But overall, I mean, yeah, people are people are good. I think that's everywhere though. <laughs> like I think most people are good most places. And then it was the same thing I remember with moving to Australia. You know, people were like, oh, fuck, there's so many um, spiders and snakes and sharks and crocodiles and dangerous things that are going to kill you. I've lived here in Australia nearly 17 years and never seen a snake once. So, <laughs> if you know, and I lived in America for quite a few years, never saw a gun. Doesn't, it's not, yeah, it's not what, um, what they lead you to believe, obviously. Maybe you go to um, Scotland and you don't see any heroin. Nah, you do though, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. That's unavoidable, I think. Did you ever get on the skag? <laughs> Man, we had we got the report in, was it a month ago or something? I think in the end of December, and we have the worst drugs deaths in Europe again for like the how many ever many years in a row. It's, yeah, not good. <laughs> Would they do like what P- Portugal did and was decriminalize everything that's what they did right well that works but it's not in the culture here it's very conservative when it comes to that kind of stuff people still kick up a big fuss here about weed interesting yet you've got the highest drug deaths probably because it's so taboo yeah yeah i guess that's it isn't it but yeah you can't um the you know i guess the political leaders aren't going to start rallying for those sorts of changes because they just get laughed at 
or just won't get voted in, I guess. Well, that's the assumption, I suppose, obviously. Maybe if some fresh-faced new liberal turned up with those ideas, maybe everyone would get behind them and they'd win, but I guess no one's doing it. I mean, Scotland's pretty much a one-party state at the minute. SNP, the Nationalist Party, that's, they're in, they have like, I think it's something like 50 out of the 59 seats. Yeah, wow, okay. I haven't been there for a while. A friend of mine was living in Edinburgh, so I visited a couple of times, I think. Loved it, but never... I don't think I've ever played there. Miami Horror never made it to Scotland. Did you not? Nah, no Ireland. Did England, did Paris, did Spain, done Germany and some of the Scandi places, but never Scotland. Don't know why. That's crazy. I thought you would have, yeah, you've gone down well over here. Yeah, you sort of turn up where they have you, I suppose. And maybe no one, maybe when the tour was getting booked, there was just no promoter at the time that wanted to take the gamble on it. I don't know, but... It's a funny one. It's sort of, yeah, you really just go where where someone will book you, basically. You know, you get an agent and they say, all right, we're routing the tour. We'll put you in these places, these places. We've got promoters in this city who are willing to put the gig on for you. But obviously, whoever we were working with just didn't have a Scotland connect, I guess. I guess when you're touring all over the world as well, there tends to just be the odd places that maybe you miss for whatever yeah. reason. Like it never quite lines up. No, totally. Yeah. But it would have been fun. Next time. Do you still have places that you want to go in the world? Like even though you've kind of traveled all over, are there still things that are kind of on your bucket list that you want to visit? Yeah, I suppose so. You do get lazy though. The more that you go in places on tour, the less you want to travel on your own and the less you want to go anywhere without a sort of tour guide. Because whenever you go on tour, there's a local promoter. They take you to all the nice eateries and show you everything in the city that's of, you know, of notice or, or the sort of places that, that the locals go to as well. You'd meet quite like-minded people in those cities. So then the thought of sort of booking a holiday and going on my own and getting the Lonely Planet out or whatever just doesn't appeal in the same way. So I guess I sort of just wait until we get booked somewhere and then maybe if the tour's over, stay a few days extra in one city or if you've made some friends there through being on tour, then you go back and visit them. I don't know, maybe... Yeah, I'm just trying to think of where actually I want to travel to. Nah, I don't care. <laughs> I've, got, I've gotten lazy. I need a, a wife to organize it for me. If you're out there, ladies, um, <laughs> you, you like the cut of my jib, let's go on holiday, but you're booking it. I'll turn up though and bring some lols. Touring's a weird thing. I was just thinking about there that there's not really any other opportunity that you would have to t- uh, travel the world as like a community, like a little kind of group of you, Well, like in that way. Yeah, I've been watching the cricket. I'm quite a big cricket fan. The more the years go by, I get more and more into it. And I think looking at sports teams and seeing them and how much fun they must have going to all those different cities for the competition and then the camaraderie of it all, I reckon that would be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, sports teams, I suppose. But obviously seeing it a different way, Obviously, a bit, a lot more training and things like that. When you're a musician, you're just a fucking glorified drunk, really, aren't you? So you get, <laughs> you get to lazy around. But I imagine with the sports teams, it's sort of a lot more strict. But even then, maybe you know, because of that, you get your, um, you know, training doesn't start to eleven, so you've got a few hours in the morning to go and check somewhere out, and maybe you're not as hungover, so you actually get out of the house, probably. Yeah, well, I guess you can't really drink, can you? You've kind of got a keep a level head well you know it's a loss of focus definitely in the 80s and 90s the some of those heroes shane warne and um booney and those kind of guys were doing it 
but uh, yeah it's not really it's not like that as much anymore for sure I don't think so but that was the glory years of cricket the sort of 70s 80s 90s where you had those drunken drunken heroes like that story of Boone drinking um, 52 cans on the flight from Australia to England to play over there it sort of makes them icons <laughs> cricket icons because they're larrikins you know but otherwise no I know I don't know what um, how else you sort of tour tour with a gang I think that's what's so fun about it we were supposed to be in Europe uh, April of last year Miami Horror for a month and just kind of missed it yeah, just missed it, and they pushed it back to September, which, you know, at the time seemed, oh, sure, yeah, we'll be back in September. And then by September, oh, maybe not, maybe April of next year, and then now I imagine it's just on hold indefinitely. I mean, I don't know when anyone's going anywhere. Definitely Could not. Could be 2022, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, even 2023, maybe, you know, this year's <laughs> going to be a shit fight. I mean, I guess there's the vaccine, but then what there's now the new strands which the vaccine doesn't cover so does it just is this just a sort of interminable never-ending shit fight that we're in i don't know yeah it feels like the we're in a tunnel and the light at the end of the tunnel the further you go into the tunnel it just keeps getting further and further away (laughs) yeah yeah you sort of just got to make peace with um being in the one place that you're in i think it's kind of cool i suppose i imagine there's uh, whole parts of australia and even within the state of victoria where i live where Melbourne is so much that I wouldn't have seen and done. That's as good as anywhere else. Just enjoy where you are. Give back to the local tourism community, I suppose. Have you noticed the uh, impact your creativity in any way when you're kind of just in the one location and in the one spot? Mm, maybe. I don't know. Mm, a little. Not not that I, that I don't have the juice in me for creating but maybe you just get a little bit complacent i think that's more that than anything else just because you're not moving around much or you're sort of in the same environment a lot so you just get a little bit lazier but not sort of i've never found creativity a struggle or you know i've never had writer's block or anything like that there's always a million chord progressions there's always a whole bunch of songs floating around in my head for the different projects or bands that I've been in it's just a matter of getting them down and so if you just make sure everyone keeps turning up you just keep getting work done really so no the first lockdown was really exciting at the beginning of all of it I think for everyone that was a pretty you know slightly scary but also pretty um, amazing time because we'd never experienced anything like that before and then getting locked down for a few weeks I had a whole bunch of musical ideas and things that I've been wanting to do for a few years, just samples that I wanted to cut up, drums I wanted to get from some other artists, some piano pieces that I wanted to record and just all these little bits of, yeah, like fragments of music that I just never gotten around to. So it was quite fun in that first bit for a few weeks, just really fucking around and experimenting. But then the novelty started to wore off and maybe the work ethic disappeared a little so now it's just, but but we're cool back here in Melbourne. I got a new project called Telenova with two people here in Melbourne. And we've just been working the whole way through, trying to do two or three sessions a week, writing a song every day if we can. So we're sort of almost got a new record worth of material. Well, we do, yeah. We wrote about 25 songs. Obviously, 15 of them are shit. 10 are good. Keep the 10 good ones <laughs> done. And then just, just keep going now. Just keep writing more. So hopefully do that record 
sometime this year there's an EP coming out in a few months I think a single next month it's all sounding good so that's exciting I guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah I guess it's exciting I don't know it's funny with releasing music done it so many times sometimes it hits with people sometimes it doesn't sometimes it just gets buried in the sort of avalanche of music that exists everywhere else on the internet the excitement i suppose is in the creation of it and the performing of it the release side of it i've never felt found to be particularly invigorating or anything just sort of all it is is statistics on an app isn't it really like you see the spotify numbers or whatever but it doesn't really correspond too much that you can feel so it's not until you can play shows again that you notice it i guess by the time i get to spotify as well it's maybe been on ice for a little bit yeah definitely with this telenova ep we finished it at probably in february of 2020 and then we were planning on releasing it last year but then obviously everything happened we couldn't you know i I think a lot of people just didn't put out their music last year just because they were waiting to see what was going to happen so now it's coming out this year so yeah by the time it's released the songs were written two years before sort of finished six months later and then you wait a year and a half before anyone actually hears them so you're sort of yeah not over it but just kind of you've sort of checked out a little bit and you're sort of busy working on the next bunch of music What's the latest with it? You've got a Dick and Mary project as well. Is that another one that's kind of floating around? Have you got quite a, have you got quite a few things kind of on ice at the moment, like waiting to arrive into yeah. the world? How do you know about that one? How, I don't know how anyone knows the name of that. I listened to your podcast. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's, that's done. That's been done. Shit. We must have finally put the, the finishing tweak on it maybe in September of last year. It was done probably halfway through last year and now i'm just waiting for mary i guess we'll call her mariki <laughs> my friend um for her to just finish the artwork and figure out the release of it i produced it that was sort of my end of the bargain so i guess now her part of the deal is you've got to be the artistic director of it and figure out that side of it so yeah that one's done recorded at friar park sounds awesome mixed really well by this guy paul hicks who's done um Fuck, he's been redoing, I think he redid All Things Must Pass. He remixed Imagine. He's doing Ooh. heaps of well, stuff. Well, that was at George Harrison's studio, right? Yeah. Recorded, yeah. Yeah, so this guy's a good friend of Danny Harrison. So he's close with all the Beatles babies and the Beatles family. So he's kind of their go-to guy now who's been remixing. Yeah, like redoing a lot of the Harrison catalog and doing some of the Lennon stuff and some Beatles things. He worked at... Abbey Road for 15 years. I think he worked with Giles Martin and some of those people. So yeah, he mixed this record for us. It sounds really, really great. Recorded there. Just fucking need to get it out, eh? Again, it should be exciting, (laughs) but it's dragging on. Yeah, so many things that are sort of... I've got a new solo record done. My third Joshua Moriarty record. Just finishing off. Just Melancholia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's done. Ready to go. Just finishing off the artwork. And then I got to figure out how to release that. So I'm sort of got some management people that I'm working with here in Melbourne, but they'll have to shop it around and, you know, get the fishing rod out and chuck it out to some people. Then some will lament ah, some will say yes, some will say no. Then it will be fucking 2021, uh, 2022, so hopefully before it comes out again. And then I'll be sort of finished my next one. 
it's I'm sounding a little um, jaded by it. It's totally fine. It's just it's kind of annoying how long everything takes. I feel as well. I don't know if you feel the same, but I feel like the years start to go by quicker when you're planning ahead. Like when you have all these things in the calendar and the schedule and you're ticking them off. It feels like it kind of speeds up time in a weird sort of way. Yeah, definitely. I think getting older speeds up time as well because every year is one small, like a smaller percentage of your entire existence, right? So from the year of zero to one years old, the longest year of your life, then the second year of your life is half as long. And then the next one's the third as long. And they just sort of, by the time you're getting into your thirties, it's like one, you know, I'm nearly 40. It'll be every year is one fortieth then of your life. It's like, oh, that's just a tiny fragment. So by the time you're- It's a pretty cruel illusion, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I guess they are technically the same length, but maybe you don't notice it in the same way they just get smaller and smaller until you evaporate it's the same as having kids though it's like that's the kind of weird side to that is that for a child it feels like such a long period of time but for yourself it's kind of speeding on if you know what i mean yeah it must be yeah that is bizarre actually i've never thought about thought about that i don't have children you got some children do you i don't have children no yeah okay this is the word on the street for you then this is what they're telling you (laughs) this is what i've heard yeah Will Isolation pop up on the new solo record? Yeah, yeah, that's the first track. Yeah, when did I, when did that come out? When did I put that out? Six months ago? A few ago? months back or something yeah, maybe? Something yeah, something like that. Long, yeah, six months. Wow. Yeah, that didn't do anything. It's another one, you sort of put it out, get a PR person to help you with it. Some people, you know, people close to me and a few people who know who I am listen to it, but it doesn't, didn't reach great market or wide array of people or something it's funny you sort of just become used to accepting that some things you do will do well you know Miami Horror stuff has a market and has for a long time I think this new Telenova project that I'm working on is going to do pretty well just gauging from you know what's been happening so far but with the solo stuff some of this it's just so hit and miss with some of the songs like I put out that song Savage Love through these we did pretty well yeah that one's that one's got quite a few streams but then isolation i don't even think i don't even know if it's made it over a thousand it's weird you just you have no kind of control over it it just depends on the gods of music and the gods of the internet as well and what you know who's hot at the time whether it gets into the right people's hands to to share it for you the more prolific i suppose you can be is probably handier like if you if you know an artist is continually putting stuff out, then they seem active and more people are kind of willing to support them, I guess, and their name is being heard more. But if you take a little bit too long or it doesn't look like you're doing much, then I think people don't want to put the time into supporting you. They want to support, people want to back a winning horse, right? So if they don't see that, then they maybe don't care. But I've sort of always tried to stress when with any of the music that I'm releasing, you know, with PR or when they're sending things out, it's like, I'm going to continue making solo records my entire life. I don't, I'm not going away. Whether they'll be hugely successful or not, you know, who who has any control over that? But I'm definitely like, oh, this is not some sort of, I'm not a new artist. It's not a project that's going to vanish. I'm going to try and keep, well, not try. <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing this because it's just what I do. Yeah, I guess as well, it'll be nice when you get further on in your life and you can look back and there's almost a record to pinpoint 
every year in a weird sort of way. Totally. Like it's, I mean, every record's a marker, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, this sort of your musical diary entries is the way I sort of see it. I don't keep a diary, but if I want to go back and remember who or where or what I was or where I was living or who I was dating or what car you were driving or, or anything, you know, I can, um, all of those old records bring back all those feelings and, and memories. So that is pretty cool that way to actually have like little markers in your life to know what was going on. Otherwise, if I just, I guess, yeah, if you just worked an ordinary, if I just worked an ordinary job, I don't know what the markers for my life would be but i guess like yeah i can go on spotify and see when i've released stuff and then that actually keeps me abreast of my own existence <laughs> otherwise i don't think i would know yeah so we're one to think about mm. like i wonder if people i know we were saying earlier about how time kind of speeds up when you're always putting projects in the calendar and looking ahead but maybe it speeds up even faster if you don't have anything and it kind of just becomes one big blur and there's nothing really to distinguish every year yeah, totally. I think it's sort of, you know, for an everyday person, I suppose it's, I've been on a dating app recently and I hadn't really done it before. It's sort of the first time in my life I've given it a good go. It's been quite fun. But noticing um, this one has a bunch of questions that, there's sort of three questions that you have to fill out and then you have a bunch of your photos and noticing um, what your everyday person is sort of looking for or wants to be a part of their life because I guess it's projection right like what they say that they're looking for or their answers is what they want their partner to be or something or what they think they, they want their life to be and for so many people it's all about travel like must love adventure must love travel must be willing to travel do not you should not go out with me if you don't like adventures I'm like are you really that fucking adventurous? <laughs> I kind of look at most people and I think you're the ones who are sort of saying that you love travel and you love to go on adventures. But I kind of feel like most people are a little bit boring and aren't going on that many adventures. So I guess that we look we look for qualities in others that we aspire to see in ourselves. Yeah. So if maybe you're not traveling too much, but you want to get someone in your life who does so you can maybe bring that into your own world yeah exactly yeah it's totally like a projection of of what you're wanting the other one that everyone's talking about is must must have a great sense of humor and good banter i'm like okay so clearly you're not funny and you're not very good at chit chat because you, you need someone else to do it but yeah travel i think that's mark the marker for most people's lives i imagine um you know a wedding something like that uh children yeah, and then you you travel. Oh, I remember in 2018 we went to China for a month or whatever. You know that would be sort of the big the big adventure for them. Makes me sound like a bit of a bit of a cunt, really. That I, um, <laughs> but I guess yeah, I don't I don't mean it in that in that way. I just um everyone's everyone's life is different. I've just been so fortunate, and so I find myself sometimes sort of looking at that stuff, and more so than thinking that I'm better than it just going oh wow yeah I've been very lucky that you've actually been able to travel so much through music it's a real blessing I'm intrigued what did you put down for the three questions well let me ha I said here I've got it here actually just let me get my phone out because I said oh okay here we go a shower thought I recently had um, I said mumbo number six better be worth the wait <laughs> that was rel relatively funny 
Um, then the next one is the one thing you should know about me is, and I said, I hate adventures, have a terrible sense of humor, take life <laughs> extremely seriously, deplore spontaneity, despise travel, and have awful banter. <laughs> How many people do you think are going to read that and take it seriously? Um, probably a few that won't get it, but if they don't, I probably don't want to um, go on a date with them, do I? I guess it's a weeding yeah. out, more of a weeding out process than anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also sort of, it's hard to be, it's hard to be funny in any sort of text form or online really, isn't it? Especially with that sort of stuff. Like if someone knew me, that, you know, it could sound maybe slightly funny, but then matched with some of the pictures. If you didn't know me and you just read it, you could just go, oh, that guy's a, like, who does this wanker think he is? Wouldn't, I don't want to hang out with that guy. What a dick. But hey. I often find that, find that a lot of the first time I meet people, I'll say something sarcastically or quite sardonically and they just won't get it and they'll take it for face value. <laughs> and you kind of have to explain and you think, oh, am I just, am I just look like such a cunt? Yeah, you don't want to have to explain. If you've got to explain, then maybe no, you're, not, you're no. not hanging out with the right people. I sort of assumed that the Scots would be a lot quicker witted and should sort of be over most of it, that sort of UK sense of humour. You would think. Mm. Yeah, maybe we only sort of get, you know, the English comedy and all that stuff that I see is just you're getting the best of the best. And so your sort of assumption is that everyone is like that, but clearly not. <laughs> well, so it was isolation I was going to ask if we kind of came upon it a little while ago was that written during the lockdown nah nah I wrote no, 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 it no. I wrote it the year before I was going back and forth forth a lot between Melbourne and Los Angeles and I was staying um, yeah I was just on another trip back there but I'd sort of just gone back but I didn't really have much of a reason to be there i just had a return flight so i thought oh, i'll go back and the more and more i went back and forth the more and more sort of disconnected from each of the cities that i lived in i became and it's sort of forget who to be reaching out to when you were back in town or or your friends would forget that you know because you're always leaving they don't message you to say hey we're going to the pub or we're going to go for a walk or whatever it is you know that you do with your friends we're going to play tennis or whatever you sort of just get left out so every time i would arrive again i'd have to try and remember who and what and where i was supposed to be to have connection and friendship with people and I just found myself kind of staying in this Airbnb of just renting a room off a friend of mine and he was away and just feeling really lonely, just not, you know, sort of knowing, like, what am I just feeling? What am I fucking doing? What, what, what is this? Sort of need to pick a, pick a path or a place to live or something to do. But also knowing that no matter what, this is always going to be a huge part of my life anyway, what with traveling and playing music and being in different cities and going places to record and doing that and being alone a lot writing music it's just such a such a part of it so I guess it was just a combination of all of those feelings and just trying to get the lyrics to actually say exactly what it was that I was going through or feeling at that particular point I think as um, the years have gone by with I don't sing as often on my solo records. Some of the stuff's instrumental now. So when I actually do sing, I feel like I've got to really get the lyrics right and capture the complete 
feeling of what it is that I'm going through. Otherwise, what's the what's the point, you know? Do you tend to reward them a lot or is it more just a stream of consci- consciousness that you capture in mm, a particular moment? Quite a bit of reworking, I reckon. That one was quick, though. I got lucky with that one. I think I managed to get that done within two, like two or three, three or four days. The whole song, actually. Like the chords came immediately, sort of in, you know, an hour or two maybe an hour, I guess, you know, you just sort of sit there playing the guitar and then the melodies, maybe the day after, or like I had a few fragments and then just started writing the lyrics quickly. Cause also I was working with the producer, his name's Tony Buchan, Australian guy, legend. And he, him and I were, were just booked a few days to work. We'd just started working together. So I had other songs that I could have done with them, but that one was really fresh. So when I went in a few days after I'd just been mucking around with it, he said, right, cool. So let's do a song, you know, over the next few days while we're here. Have you got anything? And I thought, oh, well, let's, yeah, let's, I guess like we should do this one because it's fresh and new and I'm sort of excited about it. So I guess with that, that forced me to get the lyrics done immediately whereas if i'd been given a little more time i might have procrastinated a little bit it definitely helps um yeah once you have the deadline of recording then you you got to nuance the lyrics and get them done quickly but with the yeah with a lot like that most recent all the colors record we did that volume three one i spent a long time on the lyrics for all of those songs just trying to get everything perfect some of them took months and it's not months of doing it every day it's just once every week or two going back through and changing a few things sitting on it for a week listening to it again in the car or while you're going for a bike ride or something then going ah that bit's not quite right changing it the week later you know nutting a few bits out and then just sort of working through it that way so it really depends i suppose does what you're saying there about you know you'll take it in the car for a bike ride is taking it out of the studio and listening to it in a different location or in a different setting quite an important part of the process now yeah definitely yeah i do that a lot. I was terrible when I used to um when I used to drink. I sort of don't really drink much anymore. I stopped for years and then sort of started again a little bit last year, but it's not really my thing anymore. And then you get drunk and then you do some cocaine and I just always sort of put my demos and my new songs that I was working on on in the background of like the social gathering that I was at, like hijack the stereo, sort of do it a little bit um surreptitiously, sort of like you're DJing, so I've got the iPhone and I'd be playing other people's music and then just slip in a few of my songs just to test the sort of social reaction that they would get notice if anyone's ears prick up notice if anyone gets annoyed ask what's this shit or if like someone's foot taps or whatever and try and read those signs and also just see how the song would make me feel seeing if i would feel comfortable hearing it in front of other people or if something would make me cringe then i would know that that was not not right but these days because i don't do that in the same way it's sort of just a matter of playing it to a few friends maybe but otherwise yeah just putting it on in the car or yeah just listening to it outside of the studio definitely like in a different headspace not just immediately after working on it for four or five hours or something bringing what you were saying there about you know bringing it into a social setting is quite an interesting idea is it not quite hard though to judge like social or judge someone else's reaction to it when you're in a slightly heightened or kind of, you know, high state? Yeah, I found when I was stoned, I would be the most critical. It's funny because I know a lot of other people would get stoned and would talk about how it all sounds amazing when you're stoned and then you listen to it when you're not and it sounds like shit. For me, it would always be the opposite. Like my most 
existential crisis sort of moments have been listening to something stoned and just being like fuck you suck your voice is horrible this is and then so i no longer smoke weed (laughs) (laughs) i think for that probably that reason that it just um wasn't good for my mind but yeah yeah it is maybe a little harder in a heightened state but but i i think um yeah it would make me it, it didn't change my critical thinking it just would change the way that I critically thought about it, but it wouldn't mean that there wasn't critique there at all. There was still that that part of my brain is always on, I guess. Do you kind of get a release now then? I mean, if you stop drinking, you don't smoke weed, you don't really do any of that stuff. Is it kind of difficult to readjust for a little while when there's no... Because it, it can be nice to get a release now and again, but I guess if you don't agree with it... like No, nah, totally, yeah, man. Where, where do you get your release now? Yeah, yeah the first sort of three years of sobriety two or three years were really exhilarating and really fun because it had been that must have been when i was 32 or something and i was just exhausted from partying and drinking you know there was a lot over going on tour and being in a band and just i don't know yeah i suppose once you don't have a normal full-time job there's always someone willing to hang out and get drunk and get a little loose so just it it became yeah, I was just really tired by the end of it. And I just finally thought, fuck, I can't, I can't be bothered with this anymore. We're at a music festival. I can't, I think it was in um, Santiago. And I just turned into a massive dick that night and was yelling, you know, just being not like, just, just being a nuisance really. And then everyone that we were with at the festival sort of ditched me. And I remember sort of sitting on the golf cart by myself with no one else around like i was you know we're hanging out with mac demarco and a few other people and it's like feeling really cool like meeting these new bands and we're all having a great time and then i think everyone just like eventually got over me because i just became too much of a loudmouth and quite irritating and so then after that i was like ah this is enough i'm sick of being a nuisance at these festivals and also just feeling like shit and causing trouble for some of the other guys in your band sometimes so yeah the first few years were amazing it was really new and invigorating and and feeling um in control and social events and playing gigs and doing everything was really fresh but then after about four this is the last year of not drinking just started to become a little bit boring and exactly what you're saying no chance for release anymore so i started popping a few valiums here and there would enjoy taking a xanax on the airplane just so you could knock yourself out and just sort of taking some pharmaceuticals just so that there's a chance to switch your brain off once a month or something like that, but without going, getting erratic or getting nutty. And then it wasn't until sort of halfway through last year with the COVID shit that I just ended up having a few drinks again because I just, yeah, needed something to blow off, blow off some steam. Now that I've, you know, just had six months of drinking a little bit, I know that I can do it again, but also know that I don't really want to do it that much anymore. So it's like, okay, cool. I'm not an alcoholic. I can drink a little bit if I need to, but it doesn't agree with me all the time. It makes you feel like shit. So just do it when you need a release. Otherwise, just try and, I don't know, what do you do? Meditate, go for a run, do some exercising. It's not the same, is it? No. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't have that taboo atmosphere about it, does it? Nah. And, it, and that's kind of part of it, the little bit of excitement, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you want to be able to switch off. And and also there's there's definitely a, a different camaraderie with um, 
boozing with a bunch of friends or you know staying up late and listening to music you the conversations change and sometimes they turn into nonsense but other times there's a new level of bonding that you reach with a friend that you haven't you know there's some things that are harder to talk about when you're not under the influence and i think it can be there's something beautiful about it sometimes i do i did miss that side of it yeah definitely when you were drinking at the start of COVID, though that would have been alone though i presume would it that was kind of when the lockdown came in or nah there was still that nah, was it before no it was it was while that was going on but you could still sort of hang out with one or two people so it was on yeah i went on a date on my birthday with the with this lady and then yeah we ended up um ended up having a few drinks i was like okay cool this is sort of fun here and there with a few people nothing got too hairy didn't end up losing it or anything it's like okay you can actually do this this is this is okay are you a heavy drinker is that scottish thing or it's just the same as everywhere else everyone likes to drink um i'm not too bad i don't think i feel like of late i didn't drink for probably almost two months this year actually because i was i felt like i was drinking a little bit too much maybe in lockdown not in a bad way but just you know yeah um, and then kind of october through november didn't really drink at all uh, which was nice. I think, like you said, there's something exciting about just changing it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and whether that's stopping or starting again or <laughs> whatever it is. I guess with life, yeah, you need to, there always need to be changes, isn't there? Every few years, something needs to change. You need to start something, give something up, move in another direction, but absolutes of all kind, nothing's going to, con- you can't set up a system for your life that's going to continue to work for the rest of your life. It's always going to need amending and changing, isn't it? That's because you change as a person as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, whatever it is, we'll always need to keep being readjusted. You might find the ultimate exercise routine hard, but then in five years time, one of those body parts doesn't function. It's like your knee stops working. So you can't do that anymore. Instead of always needing to be readjusted. Definitely get a little bit of a buzz. I know we were saying that it's not quite the same as having a drink, but you do get a, lo- a nice buzz from alcohol. Uh, not alcohol, exercise. Yeah. In a different way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But no, it's not like you um, you don't stay up till three in the morning listening to music while you're exercising, do you? <laughs> not quite. Nah, nah. And then getting on cocaine and talking about yourself and how great you are. Don't get to do that when you're exercising either, sadly. <laughs> Speaking about... Uh, Speaking about getting high, what's the highest you've climbed on stage? Oh, well, I think that I put a photo on my Instagram because someone um, sent it to me. Maybe it was this festival in New York. Pretty high. Yeah, pretty high. <laughs> Nearly to the top. At Coachella, I got on the speakers. Yeah, climbed the scaffolding and then climbed on, on top of the speakers up on the, up on the high bit up there. And then I sort of swung off the bar in the middle of the stage or just off to the side, sort of with nothing under my feet. It was terrifying. I thought, I, was like, I can imagine. Why am I doing this? What have I got to prove? Definitely, um, the more I've so- spoken to my therapists over the years about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to figure out where all of this is coming from. It's this sort of deep desire to never be seen as a wimp. So always needing to do shit like that to kind of prove that you're, that you're not, a, I don't know, a pussy or a wimp or something. It's like this kind of ingrained high school thing of like not wanting anyone to ever call you a pussy. So you kind of got to be a tough guy. 
Is that quite a big thing in New Zealand? Like kind of like the toxic masculinity thing? Or? I don't know. It's probably the same everywhere. Um, how old are you? 19. 19. Okay. So, it's different for you. So, you've probably got a lot of um, LGBTQ friends and um, you're probably thinking about becoming non-binary and all of that. But for our generation- No, not really. I know you're, I mean, I know you're not. <laughs> Scotland, I feel like Scotland, if you imagine where you would expect the world to be, and then just imagine Scotland maybe 10 years behind that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, don't <laughs> worry, I knew you weren't 19. I can understand the, um, the, <laughs> the comments that you're making. You don't have to worry about that here. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I mean um, yeah, of course. So yeah, we did we did grow up with that. I mean, it's obviously still going on as well, but I, it's probably way more so to a lesser extent. But yeah, there was like you know definitely homophobic jokes and things. Not like that anyone was genuinely homophobic. I don't think, but there was all of that stuff at my high school for sure, and not being a like a don't be a fucking girl's blouse and all that stuff. So you do kind of. It's just very ingrained, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. So there's there's definitely this thing of wanting to prove something. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. Um, what's the word? Like you know, of, of being feminine or like you know, the, the the older I got, I definitely know which men I find handsome. You know, like Captain America or something. Like, wow, he's a very handsome man. You like? <laughs> I remember when my dad would say that stuff when I was a kid. I was like, whoa, that's weird. Like, how is he feeling confident enough as a man to be able to say another man's got a good body or something? And then as you grow older, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm very comfortable in my sexuality to be able to say that stuff. But yeah, as a teenager, I suppose it's sort of um, that sort of thing of of needing to be, to prove your, your masculinity is there. And I suppose it just carries over for quite a few years. But I think also more so than even it being masculinity was just a, was more so proof of energy, I suppose, or vigor for me more so than it being a masculine thing i don't think of those acts of like climbing something as being masculine it's more just actually sort of proof of um that you are not afraid i suppose or that you're willing to take some risks and i've always loved you know i like the mars volta and um when eddie vetter from pearl jam would climb up on this up in the rafters and drop down and just that sort of frontman thing that makes people slightly frightened where the like the rock and roll danger element of a gig where you don't quite know what could happen and it puts you on edge and it sucks you into the performance so much more when someone is doing things that could potentially go wrong and especially now with a lot of bands with backing tracks and playback and you know there's a lot of clean acts out there that i find a little banal so I guess for me, the point of doing those sorts of things is to just throw some new energy into the mix and just try and make it entertaining for people. It's a little bit of chaos, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I, you know, it's funny doing it in Miami Horror, which is such a clean band and it's like, you know, Ben, the producer of the band is grew up with such different music tastes and his observations of what music and live music should be is so different to mine. Whereas mine was you know, started with new metal as a teenager and then Soundgarden and then big into Zeppelin and then that turned into At The Drive-In and the Mars Volta and Blood Brothers and Refused and all that hardcore alternative rock and just all of those front people and the energy from all of those bands when you would see them was, it had danger. So that's just something that I've always wanted to keep in a performance if I can. 
And it just <laughs> happens that it's in Miami Horror, which is sort of almost <laughs> incongruous. But I think the more people have seen us and watched it, it's it's become the horror part of the band, I suppose. And I think it's really sort of between Ben's production and my sort of way of performing has made that band what it is. If I do say so myself, I give myself a little pat on the back. <laughs> Have you ever fallen? No, I haven't. You don't because if you let go, you will break something or maybe die. So your body doesn't let you. It's very simple. It's quite amazing what your sort of mind and body will do when it knows it's in danger. It's just hang on. So, no, nah, I don't think you ever slip. I don't think you fall. I think, you know, everyone... Something else kicks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's sort of this um, innate human survival mechanism. So, it, may, it sort of looks dangerous, but really I don't think it is because you're not going to let yourself slip. And, yeah, you know, there's always a chance that something might slip from under you. But when you're climbing things like rigging or scaffolding, that shit's tight and set up well so it's it's fine have you ever like had a near-death experience in any way there was one where i was climbing where were we like medellin or somewhere in colombia i think i climbed all the way to the very top it was a smaller stage it was still big but there was it was a nighttime show and there was no lighting and i got to the very top and i had these slippery shoes on and no one could see me and i didn't i wasn't going to fall or die or anything it was a little shaky i was sort of a bit scared but and i just thought why am i doing this no no one can even see me this is just like your sort of perverse thing for you now this isn't even for anybody in the audience this is just like some weird weird thing that you need to do to prove to yourself but no not really i don't i can't think of anything i guess doing stuff like that makes you feel alive so it's it, i wouldn't call it near death but as long as you're sort of doing things that make you feel that are a little dangerous or make you feel a little more alive that's sort of yeah enough to keep you going i suppose to keep things exciting i actually i'm lying to you i we did this tour of australia called the big day out and we were partying a lot and drinking a lot and taking a lot of xanax and i just went too far with the sort of pharmaceuticals and the booze and then I passed out on the aeroplane and they had to wheelchair me off and then got taken home and my sister looked after me but yeah it was like nearly Heath ledged myself so it wasn't long after Xanax is never a good mix with alcohol nah man that was really really dumb so that was pretty I reckon I was close that time but I managed to get away with it so since then that sort of definitely gave me a a bit of a fright and a kick up the ass. But that's a boring near-death experience because you're not you're not even cognizant of the fact that you could die. You're just sort of um, having a good time or partying and getting numb. And then you'd just wake up dead. You wouldn't even know that, that it had happened. Yeah. There's something a little frightening about that, though, that it's such an easy way to slip away. Yeah, I know. And I've definitely um, spoken to people who know, have had friends that have, that have done that. So... Yeah, since since then, just don't don't mix those drugs, children. It's not good for you at all. And I think it, you know, I was lucky a few times that having done that, that nothing sort of happened. But it easily could, you know, you could take less and drink less and still have a bad side effect and just have that shit wipe you out. What a such a boring way to go as well, wouldn't it? Like, oh yeah, they just died. Lame. <laughs> it's not even cool. 
How would you want to go? <laughs> What's the best way to hmm. die? Maybe when something just takes you out really quickly, like in the dream when you just die, when the bus hits you or something, that'd be pretty cool because you wouldn't know. Then I guess everyone wants to go in their sleep. Maybe dying with loved ones old around you, perfectly content. Wouldn't that be amazing? But <laughs> I don't know. Or otherwise, being really fed up and just deciding that you're going to um, take matters into your own hands. Hunter S. Thompson style. I don't know. I'm not sure which one of those I prefer. He just got a little bit sick of being old, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He just, he just had enough, I think, and just decided to tag out. I mean, there wasn't really much more for him to do, was there? I think with his lifestyle as well, earlier in life, he was a little bit fucked by the time he got to 71 or whatever. Yeah, it was just time to end it. Respect. It didn't seem particularly tragic or anything, I don't think. I don't feel like he would have been super weepy about it. I mean, I don't really know. Who, who really knows what someone like that is thinking or feeling or going through? But I do admire some of those people who it's not sort of sadness. It's just, ah, I've had enough. That's enough. Leave the party early. It's interesting how it still seems very frowned upon, though. Like, it's very much a thing that is looked upon as a tragedy by a lot of people. If someone just makes that decision, like you say, and decides that that's it, they're they're happy, they're content, and it's time to yeah, wrap it up. Totally right. Like, why why is it a tragedy if someone decides they don't want to live anymore? Like, I I get it, I get it. If maybe people people are younger and they haven't been through enough yet, and there is still a chance, obviously, that things are going to change and things are going to get better. But if you're if you're in your forties or your fifties or something, and you just sort of like, ah, I'm kind of over it. I don't, I don't like. There's nothing more that can really that I want to do, or there's nothing more that I think I can give, or I can't change my mind. I can't get out of this slump. Why is why is living better than dying necessarily? Yeah, I don't. I, I guess it's just because we don't know what's next. But if someone's someone's had enough and they decide to tag out, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. I've, I'm the I'm same as you. I don't sort of look at it as a tragedy necessarily. I sometimes think it's like, oh, well, good on you. Do what, do what you want. You didn't ask to be born. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there is still a little bit of wisdom, though, to be gained in the 40s and 50s. Like, I am quite intrigued by the idea of being 70 years old and what the world, you know, kind of looks like at that point and what kind of knowledge you've amassed and how it changes your perception of things. Totally. Yeah, that's why I don't think I would tag out before then either something would probably need to get me um i don't plan on on topping myself before then as well I've, I, I, you know as much as getting older can be difficult and painful painful and you know the same way it was it's like you're a teenager and you thought you would get to your 30s and suddenly everything would be cool whereas i've got to my 30s and god fuck it's actually just still hard it's actually harder because all the sort of um the dream that i was promised of um enlightenment and contentment hasn't arrived and suddenly your body stops working and um all of your methods you know older methods of coping like drinking or whatever it was that you would do uh no longer work anymore so the 30s is this like reimagining of what your life is and how to function but i'm sort of i feel like the 40s will probably be my my hope is that the work that you've put in in your 30s to sort of get yourself healthier and thriving more and your career going better is the 40s are probably the dream the dream decade really and then 50s is sort of still reliving the glory of your 40s and keep it going and then 60s start to slow down a little bit right it all sounds quite good you go on the reunion tour yeah 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if you're Nick Cave, just actually you're like going on the new tour of your new record and you're sort of just getting bigger and bigger and better as every year goes past. There's not many like him, are there? He's an intriguing figure, the one you become an icon in that way. Yeah. And you're always wearing the suit. You used to live near him, didn't you? Did I? Where? Did you know you used to see him in an ice cream shop? <laughs> yeah, he was in LA. I did see him at the ice cream shop. Didn't bother him because he was with his kids or whatever. Yeah, I think he was spending quite a bit of time in LA. I feel like I saw him a couple of times, but I don't know if he lived near there. He doesn't seem like an LA character. No, he doesn't. But it's funny with LA because Tom York is living a lot in LA as well. Not someone that you think of as an LA guy either. But I remember seeing him cruising down the street in Silver Lake, big smile on his face with Nigel Godrich sort of going to get a coffee or something. <laughs> like, okay, Tom, interesting. You don't look miserable and you're in the sunshine. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> I think as well, the thing about LA is that everyone's there. And when it's such a collaborative place, I think, I think in LA, all you speak about is the work. And if all you want to talk about is the work, it probably works quite well for you in that sense. Totally. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a lot of people willing to um, get together. Sun shining. There's a healthy outlook you know, people are sort of wanting to wanting to get things done, wanting to make things happen. And yeah, want to go for walks and do yoga and drink green juices and all that. And you can sort of scoff at some of that a little bit. But if you just sort of give yourself to it, you realize that it's it's nice. It's, it's a, you can live quite a healthy lifestyle there. You can also live an unhealthy one if you want to. There's definitely a bunch of cocaine and that lot of weed smoking going on. But you can avoid that if you want to. It's the same everywhere, though, I guess, a little bit, isn't it, to various extents? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think more. it's got more of a healthy lifestyle than the unhealthy side, whereas I imagine, yeah, the cities that are like a bit more um, living in the past and a bit more booze-oriented, it's sort of a bit harder to break out of that. But LA's got a quite a positive, can-do American attitude, which is quite quite nice all of the sort of people i know from the uk who live in la i got on really really well with i found sort of english people or um english people in england or the ones that i'd meet from english bands on tour that still were very english were always quite closed off and a little bit difficult to break and they're always perfectly pleasant but they were never that friendly whereas the ones that i knew had lived in who were living in la had all the hilarity of you know that i love about the english but also just had like a little just a little bit gentler and a little bit softer and a bit nicer a little bit less buttoned up yeah yeah exactly that was sort of my favorite my favorite englishman's englishmen were the ones that were the ones living in la but the scots i don't don't really know that many of the scots sort of franz ferdinand which really i think of when i think of bands from scotland that's all you need to know one of the best bands to ever come out of Scotland. Probably the best. Mm, maybe Franz Ferdinand, like Bell and Sebastian. Probably the two. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not that familiar with Bell and Sebastian, but I fucking love Franz Ferdinand. Alex Kapranos is a hero. He's the greatest. Yeah, that first record. Yeah, yeah. He's just and just their live shows these days is just so badass. I think if you've you probably heard if you've listened to the podcast. We played a festival that them and the Strokes were both at last year in Mexico. And it was sort of back-to-back Franz Ferdinand and then the Strokes. And Franz Ferdinand dominated them as far as I was concerned. Alex Kapranos just 
such a great front man and giving so much energy to the crowd and such a, a like loving, caring, giving front man, but also with all the swagger and everything. Whereas Julian Casablancas just has the standoffishness and doesn't really give. That band doesn't give. They just play their songs and then that's it. Then they stay silent in between, make a few wisecracks between them and then that's really it, which I'm just not that into. Casablancas is a very shy frontman though. Like compared to most. Yeah, I guess so, huh? It sort of like comes off as standoffishness, but maybe that's just his way of dealing with it. But regardless, it just, yeah, Franz Ferdinand. What a legend. What a great band. And did meet them one time. We were playing a festival in Medellin with them. It was Miami Horror them and a couple of other acts. And I sort of just went backstage afterwards and kind of just walked straight (laughs) into their green room. Because I was sort of a bit cheekier in those days. No, and none of them gave a shit. They were all just sort of hanging out and just ended up sitting down having a wine with Alex. And he was just really, really friendly and affable and wasn't like, who's this guy in my <laughs> in my dressing room? He was like, oh, great. Yeah, just quite, quite happy to have a chat and everything. They're all really, really lovely. And it just made me like them so much more. I feel like that's a Scottish way. It's like one more person to drink with. Yeah. yeah. The more the merrier. Yeah, totally. There was just no... No pretension or no standoffishness at all. He's just a cool dude. Did you do a lot of podcasts when you were out in LA? Yeah, yeah. Way more than I've been doing now that I'm back in Melbourne. It's a lot harder here. When I was in Melbourne, I could do them when artists were coming through. But now that there's no tours happening, it's gotten a lot slower. But it was great in LA because, yeah, everyone's there and everyone's friends with somebody. And once you get a bit of a rhythm going everyone will connect you with somebody else. And as long as someone else has done the podcast, then you just say, well, I did it with so-and-so. And then everyone sort of vets you. It's like a vetting process. And you just send the links of, oh, well, I spoke to Queens of the Stone Age. We did Death From Above or whatever it is, or, you know, Mark Mother's Bar from Devo and things like that. It's just like, oh, cool. That sounds like a decent caliber of people. Yeah, I'll do it. And it just kind of snowballs. But it's been tricky being back here and not also not wanting to do them online really i way prefer to do it in person and it's more of a hobby than a sort of profession for me the podcast so it's not like i needed to keep the episodes going to to support me financially or anything like that so i thought oh, if it just slows down for a little while it's cool have the conversations that you have on the podcast like informed your creativity in any way maybe but i don't it's so hard to quantify something like that but i definitely think there's been nuggets of um wisdom for sure that certain people have told me and i've sort of found myself yeah in some writing sessions or something thinking back to to you know a particular quote or or just a you know something that someone said to me when we've been chatting that that has helped me for sure but it's so yeah like i said it's sort of unquantifiable it's hard to know what what influence those sorts of things have on you. But yeah, for sure. I definitely think so. Do you ever find yourself, you know, kind of moving into your songwriting mind during like everyday conversations as well? Not really. I think like my ears are always on. So every cafe or bar or restaurant or supermarket or whatever I'm at, I'm always very aware of what music is playing. And it's, yeah. And even if I'm talking to someone at a bar or whatever it is, I always, my ears are sort of like half on the conversation, half on 
the music. And I can still converse with someone perfectly well, but I still am sort of always kind of listening. But in terms of like writing in your own head, yeah, sure, actually. I remember sort of with my ex-girlfriend going to the beach and sort of, you know, being there, just hanging out and just, it's like having a puzzle that needs to be solved when you're working on a new song, just writing in my head and going through lyrics or going through the chords or sort of like producing something in your mind while you're still sort of um, in the presence of other people. Yeah, it sort of just never really goes away. How long can you hold an idea for in your mind if it pops up when you're conversing with someone or you're in an everyday situation like that? Mm, sometimes you've got to run off excuse yourself to the bathroom or you know around the corner or whatever and get the voice memo on your iphone out and just record the little idea if you have something i remember you know sometimes it would just be maybe i was in the living room watching a movie or something like that with um some friends or you know with housemates or whatever and then just hearing something in the movie that you're watching or or something just sort of comes into your brain and having to just excuse yourself and sometimes would go and sit on Ableton for 30 minutes and just get the rough idea of something or go and sit at the piano and yeah when they appear if you can get that little seed of inspiration down in some sort of draft format I think it's always worthwhile to do it they don't always amount more often than not they don't amount to that much yeah with my new record the melancholia one i was at this um doing this kitchen shift this volunteer kitchen shift and i they had the stereo on and i just i can't remember whether they're listening to some old music and something came into my brain like a bunch of chords or whatever so i just quickly ran into the toilet hummed this vocal melody into my phone and then when i got home from that shift got on the piano and worked those chords out and now that's one of the songs that's on the record. So it made it all the way through that process until being a fully formed lyrics. And it's a duet with another, with a girl actually, um, this woman, Coco Riley, who's a Nashville, LA sort of artist. Yeah, so I actually sort of forgotten about that actually until I told you just now, but that one, that one made it through. So yeah, it's, it's always worthwhile doing. When you think back to the feeling you got from the spark of that initial idea how does that compare to the feeling of the end product is it still the same thing or has it evolved in any way the way it kind of makes you feel you know in your stomach or whatever yeah sure i th oh, i mean it feels way better as the finished product than it did in its initial sort of form but i, I think you know i knew it had something but it's not until I took it to no I sort of had these I had the chords and the melodies and stuff and then I teamed up with Coco the girl singing on it um in LA and we sort of finished it off together the two of us and her sort of just telling me oh yeah that's really cool I'd love to you know let's work on that and sort of giving me the confidence in it and then taking it to the producer and him saying that it's cool too it sort of fills you with more um I don't know, like you can be a little bit doubtful sometimes of whether something is good. Like I knew that, 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 you know, you know, the chords and the melody are good, but whether it's corny or cheesy or a bit, you know, you don't know whether it's actually, you're going to be able to get the correct emotion out of it, or maybe it might sound a little naff in some way. So having completed it and puts, it's got um, strings and it's a duet and some flutes and all sorts of, it's very musical sounding now. So I think it became the best version of what it 
could have been. So yeah, it, I, I think it's um, better now than it ever was. Sounds like it is it almost combining in terms of the soundscape of it, the f- first two records in a way, because the second one's obviously the instrumental thing, often quite, you know, brings in the strings. First yeah, one. this one's diff- this one's sort of, yeah, quite sort of a carry on from Romantica, my second record. And it's just, I, I think I'm singing a bit more. I, with Romantica, I just really did not feel like singing. I was just over it. And then I guess Melancholia, it's sort of in the title, I suppose, of just feeling, I don't know, just going through something for a year or two. And I guess having a bunch of emotions or feelings that I needed to get out lyrically and just feeling a need to sing. So it's sort of similar to Romantica, but maybe not as um, like compositional in the same way, more more song-based, but still based in that sort of, 50s, 60s, 70s realm of, of production and songwriting, I think. Does the catharsis differ when you're writing a record with words on it as opposed to an instrumental one? Like you do, you sing on one or two of the songs in the last record, right? Yeah, just one. There's a little That's, bit, yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, some oohs and ahs and some other ones, but only one with lyrics to the song Virgin Girl. Yeah, definitely, I think so. There is a different catharsis. I mean, you're sort of opening your mouth and wailing from the bottom of your soul, <laughs> I suppose, when you sing a little <laughs> bit. Not always, obviously, but there is that that element in there. Whereas um, I, I, I really enjoy both a lot. I like I like not having to say anything. If I can make people feel, or maybe, you know, more so, more so than make other people feel, make myself feel something without having to sing, then I'll probably take that avenue more so than, than than using words but sometimes it's just something just needs to be sung yeah it's 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 not sort of about me as such it's more so what the song is feeling like it needs or what it's sort of dictating to you that that is the correct way to do it there was some songs you know where i tried it with vocals and then ended up getting rid of the vocals and replacing it with a saxophone or something like that or if i had done it with a saxophone and then realizing that that didn't work and going ah you've got to actually try and write some vocals for this one because it's not working as an instrumental but both both feel good i think both both are cathartic for sure but something about lyrics i guess is always going to add a different dimension of feeling that comes out of you for sure what did you do with the lyrics if you replaced them like a saxophone or whatever? Are they kind of just lost to the ether or are they maybe going to come back in at some point? Or Yeah, they're probably lost. I, maybe you pilfer a line or two from a song if you're writing something else. But I don't find that you can take many lyrics from a song that didn't see the light of day and bring them into a new song. They're sort of just gone. It's hardly like they're the most genius, amazing lyrics ever. Actually, I'm lying. One of the songs I did really liked the lyrics for but i just couldn't never felt right singing it so i did end up replacing it with a saxophone and those lyrics maybe i'll one day be able to reuse some of those lines or some of those ideas but otherwise just chuck them in the bin move on to the next thing are you a computer or pen type guy when it comes to the lyrics? computer way more pragmatic i find just use my phone or each to their own okay Everyone can choose to work how they like, but I don't, I don't believe, I personally don't really believe in inspiration. I think you've got to just turn up and work, right? Like it's all about the work ethic. And 
I sort of laugh sometimes at the people who get their their notebook and they go and sit by the um the particular place in the park or they go to the river and they're like right I'm gonna write some lyrics I'm like oh, fuck off just fucking just, just get to work <laughs> dickhead like you don't that doesn't have to, like it's so romanticized but I really don't the romance is the is the finished product or the sort of making of it there's no there's no it's it's not that romantic it's just about working it's just about getting things done and of course some people can do that and i you know i'm i'm sort of being glib obviously it's a bit of a joke but i just also think you just gotta just gotta get the job done so you know maybe sometimes i've written some beautiful lyrics or something or maybe not i don't, I don't really know but if, if you looked at First of all, maybe an end product of a song that I make might sound really pretty. But if you looked at the Ableton session, it would be hideous. And then if you, you know, there's, there's a lot of gross stuff behind the scenes before you see the beautiful end product of something. So I don't really ever pretend to make out like the process is romantic in any way because it's not it's just about getting just turning up to work getting the job done really that's sort of how i've always done it and i think that's why i've always been quite good at finishing records and putting things out it's just because there's no romance in that side of it of you know i don't need to drag things on or like sit around and wait for inspiration to come it's just just work just just turn up and you'll you'll get things done Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.